Welcome to episode 527 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we feature a grand conversation with homesteader, winemaker, and our reluctant resident philosopher, straight out of Stockbridge, Vermont, Almighty Todd. The Almighty and I discuss the first cut of hay, shaving your head, attention theft it is disorder, a family of woodchucks, the Connecticut Valley, nurturing versus exploitation, origins of the jackass, magic swish chart, apples, grafting, backyard gardens, a heritage of exploitation, and some hail and a glass with bourbon, among other things. A grand conversation with Almighty Todd this go-round. We have an EWSA short titled Hail and Hay. We share a piece by Paisley Reckdahl as published in the June 5th, 2023 issue of the New Yorker magazine titled What is the Smell of a Circle? And we have an EW poem called Blossoms. All of this, of course, will be infused, imbued with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It is so nice to have you with us. Let's get to it. Episode 527 of Troubadours and Rockon Tours.
Hail and hey. Okay, short one today. We need the room to witness our almighty Todd cut through the dismay within the nebulous fray of this humanity. Sans profanity, though it is my proclivity, especially when friends are in the vicinity. It's a means by which I forage for relief and fun, navigating glitch after glitch, it seems, pursuing these dreams of love and enlightenment. You with the light in your face Who walketh only in grace Things about to get tough There's a battle that rages You can't wish it away You'll have to fight for your love Mighty Todd, is that you? Hey, conundrum, it's me. <laughs> Copy. All right, homesteader, winemaker, and our reluctant resident philosopher, straight out of Stockbridge, Vermont. Almighty Todd, regular contributor for contributor for years. I am happy to say, how you doing? 
I'm doing okay. I'm about to be a, a brush hogger pretty soon here. The, the rain stopped, and I'm going to go out and cut some stuff that's getting really too tall. Although I'm seeing another cloud coming in. Brush mm. hogger. I'm writing that down. <clears throat> brush hogger. What, what's a brush but, hogger? Well, I mean, a real brush hogger. They have a big you know, rotary mower that goes behind a tractor or sometimes a flail mower, but to take down, you know, fields that are getting too high or, you know, grass that's starting to grow, grass that's starting to grow in saplings and things like that. Um, but I don't have something that big. I've just got one of those DR walk-behind mowers that oh. I bought, bought used off of a buddy. But I've always liked, I've always wanted one of those things because they really, I've used them in the past at other people's places. Yeah. Not to be a commercial or anything, but they're, they're just fun to walk behind and they just they go through stuff like butter it's really amazing i for me you know i'm a flatlander you know uh, unlike uh, you, you uh, vermonter you uh yeah brush hogger to me is someone who runs around the house or uh the dorm and takes as many brushes for their for hair that they could see and stuffs them in their <laughs> pockets that's a brush hogger as i see Down it there. yeah i could see i could understand that dialectical translate that Yes. Okay, that makes sense. But yours is much. I don't. I don't, I don't have hair, so I don't even think about that stuff much at all. You don't. You you don't. <laughs> you, you you look good. You know. I, I. You you've been hairless for for quite some time now. It's a choice, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. You. When we met, we. I had long hair. Yeah. And it was like a year. That was the last last year I had long hair. Come to think of it. You had, yeah. You no, know, it was a choice. It was uh It was a funny. My my brother had shaved his head. And uh, he wanted for his birthday to shave my head. And I was like, you know what? What the heck? And I had just started martial, this you know, form of martial arts. And it was a lot to take care of. And, I, you know, and I'd always fought with it. It's like, you know, what the heck? I'll, I'll give it a shot. I can always grow it back in, right? And uh, it was just like, wow. It was so freeing. That was back in the 90s. Yeah. You yep. know, and every, Michael Jordan, I think, also was an influence on, on that trend. Well, yes, exactly. It became okay for for guys to not have hair on the top right. of their heads, and and well, I mean, I don't know. Some some people still stigmatize it, but I don't know if the hair club for men does quite as well as it now as it used to. But no, probably those not. Commercials? Yeah, I do. I do. I was just talking to my wife recently about some of the you know the the potions that are on the market to grow hair. Um, you can you know take pills or rub. Lotion testosterone on your, on your head. Yeah, and, yeah, and and I guess they work, but the but you got to wear gloves, otherwise your fingers start growing hair too, don't they? And also, I think you basically become impotent, you know. So <laughs> it's like, what's you know? So you have a full head of hair, but and you might get you know, you might. For? But yeah, for because usually that's the thing, right? You want to look attractive to maybe get attention and maybe a date or or what have you, and then you get that date, but you're incapable of of uh, satisfying your date. So yeah, <laughs> well, that's assuming that that's the thing. You know, maybe they want. It. Maybe they don't. <laughs> they want somebody. But just to talk yeah, with. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps. Perhaps <laughs> you're right. I don't know though. I know our species pretty well. You know. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> <laughs> wow, we weren't supposed to go down this road. Well, I know. Well, it happens. The birds and the bees. The birds and the bees. Yeah, that's yeah. That's and right. in my case, I got woodchucks too. Yeah, you have it's a little a like. A, what would you call that? Like a small group? Is it a family? I don't. I don't, I don't know. I have to look that one up. Um, but I don't know. There's four four little ones that just popped out of the hole yesterday and are starting to move around and eat things. 
Yeah, uh, and are they cute? Oh, they're cute as hell. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, you know, they'll, they'll, we'll we'll be having to chase them off the garden. They usually disperse. Actually, what happens is is there's the the, the mother. I guess she kind of runs the neighborhood here, and once they get to a certain size, she chases everybody off. And it's her it's her land, and she doesn't bother us too much. So that's the mother. Uh, yeah. So when once the kids are big enough, I don't know if kids, they're goats usually kids, but you know, yeah. once the offspring, uh, are, chucklings or whatever they are, chucklings, I like that. <laughs> they they the mother's like go 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 do your thing. Uh, enough, you know, yeah. you can't stay. Yeah, that's great. I mean, humans should do that more, right? They how many people have like thirty five year olds living in their basement? Basement, right? <laughs> um. But, uh, you know... Then at that point, you need the help. You want somebody to do some of the cleaning. <laughs> right. Pay a little rent. Rent. <laughs> you know? Get off the, the Xbox, for God's sake. So, I, I know one of my... Uh, one older Mason, masonry buddy that I got, he, he grew up in Vermont, and they got by on very little. And he said, no, the, 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 the wood trucks are good in the early summer, the, the little ones, before they uh, go get... Eating tough stuff later on in the year and into the wind and go through a lean winter. <laughs> you know, like cook them up in, in olive oil and some garlic. Yeah, I guess they do pretty well in a slow cooker. I was like, geez, but we should calculate the size of how, how big our slow cooker is. And <laughs> so you're 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 you have some designs on on a meal. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I guess you could. Yeah. I don't know. I have yeah. to look at some marmot recipes. Our friend Michael would be very upset with this conversation. Yeah, probably. Well, yeah. I mean. Michael R. Harris, vegan, extraordinaire. I mean, there's, I mean, it's, there's a hunting culture here in Vermont. That's for sure. You know, true. And I, I know plenty of people that do it. And even though I don't, I have enjoyed the spoils of venison. Yeah. At times, and I, you know, I'm happy to trade wine for that. Yeah, that's a that's that's a nice trade. A little little deer meat for a good bottle of homemade wine. Now, you know, getting back to the homesteading and the farming, uh, I mentioned you are a homesteader, winemaker. Um, you have uh, this time of year a, a bit of a like a, a I guess a, a springtime ritual. The first cut of hay. Ah, uh, yes. Has that occurred yet? It's it's happening. I was uh, driving down to see my folks over in uh, Lake Champlain Valley and over in Addison County. They had started their first cuts there for people that do like the big round bales and are, pu- are putting stuff into silage. But they're, they're, they're always like two, three, four weeks ahead of us sometimes in terms of the weather. It's a like a different zoned over there. A little warmer, I suppose. Oh, it's much, yeah, much warmer there and then down farther in the Connecticut Valley. I mean, even the Connecticut Valley, just, you know, 30 miles from here or so is significantly warmer. Just and 30 down, miles, just 30 miles. Yeah. It makes that big of a difference. Yeah. yeah. Because of the just geography? Altitude. Yeah, yeah. A little bit of altitude here, but then also the width of the, the valley and how it gathers heat. And I, you know, I still don't know exactly why it works like that, but it sure does. And, uh, so, yeah, so anyways, we've got to, you know, stay on top of it locally because, um, there's a farm that we work with that just changed hands year before last, but we're still on their list for doing hay. They're doing less fields than they used to because they're not renting fields for hay. They're just doing their own fields now. And so sometimes it's not a great year for hay and people get stuck and they're chasing all over the place and 
best thing you can do is have a good relationship with a farmer who, who, who trusts that you'll show up with cash and <laughs> take the hay away for them. So we try to do it right off the right off of the uh, hay wagon, so they don't even have to put it in the barn. And then what? You, so you you are purchasing. In this uh, case, we're purchasing hay because we our, our land doesn't isn't. It's not there isn't enough of it. It's more forested. We have one open plain, but you know meadow area. But it's more ready for, for row crops than than hay because of the soil type. And so there are other parts in the neighborhood that are better for that. And they, you know, some farmers can get away just being hay farmers in some places if there's enough horses. Um, at least for small bales. Most of the folks that do dairy farms, they have their own fields for the for the big round bales that they use and and the hay is used to feed the horses mainly is that why people are buying yeah, the horses or, or yeah people or, that usually have to buy hay and bales are usually feeding it to equines equines or goats or sheep around here if if you know once the, there's not enough grazing but donkeys so, donkeys yep is donkey, horses, is, ponies is a donkey an equine yes yep it's not a equine. separate part of the same you know just like uh i you know i don't know if a zebra technically falls under equus but i think yeah donkey's equus asnus is its latin name equus asnus that's why jackass yeah i think so wow i didn't know that that's pretty neat i'm double checking now because i'm like you're checking the google yeah it's equus asinus yep i was right well, that's that? the african that's the african wild ass the African which, wild which, ass. I love from that. Which, from which all of our donkeys there have descended, we, we gather. Well, that's where all the humans come from, too. Yeah. Well, right? I, you know, that I read something about uh, donkeys having been domesticated 5,000 years ago. And uh, I'm like, ah, you know, that's probably, that's always, that's when we have record of it. I, I got to believe people were, you know, talking to animals a long time ago. Oh, for sure. For sure. Because a lot of times animals are better to talk to than other other people. So. <laughs> oh yeah, you know, I mean, think about dogs, right? Dogs, the, the personality, the the warmth, the the ritualistic sort of, or, or the patterns that they help create in a, in a home, just amazing. Yeah, the insane barking, the uh, peeing. <laughs> that could be the downside. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just say that because I've got one of the dogs is up here, and she's if. If somebody goes by too fast with a trailer behind, she'll, she you may hear her complain about it. She's got she like knows the speed limit. I always like hearing your your dogs in the background, and it adds <laughs> a nice nuance to the conversation. <laughs> so um, you're you're going to be uh, planting this year. When are you going to? Yeah, we did till up a couple of areas um, and cleaned up an old wood pile and putting a perennial flower garden in there. That'll be nice. But yeah, we. We'll put some stuff in the garden. There's already some tomatoes in and peppers, and there'll be some squash. Bunch of Hopefully, we'll do a, a magic Swiss chard bed again like we had two years ago when it was just it was producing volumes. Yeah, it, was, and it was great because we love it. Magic so, Swiss chard? What is that like? A, well, it does just, have a, a hallucinogenic uh, sort of a, like mushrooms? No, that's a good idea, though. You do saute with a little bit of uh, psilocybin, I guess mm. that would. But... Um, yeah, no, we just had some rainbow chard and and regular green chard, but they were giant, and it was so prolific all summer. I mean, right till it froze, and uh, 
we had we were giving it away and it was just it was great probably ate about a thousand dollars worth of swiss chard wow wow so, but you know you never know some the gardens are funny it's just like you know gardening is like farming on a tiny scale some stuff does good some years some not so much another year and you can kind of understand why you don't put all your you know your seeds in one basket yeah, I was wondering where you were going with that. Yeah, uh, eggs wouldn't have been the good choice. Seeds, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you're going to go with the Swiss chard again. You have your your grapes. They're there. They just perennial, basically. Yeah, they that's a per- yeah, that's perennial. And uh, we we escaped the big frost. Good. We got the state got hit pretty hard. Um, a lot of the grape growers I know that were in kind of middle, t- not not high enough up or not close enough to the lake. Um, got bit pretty hard and apples are it's a toss-up too ours are okay Uh, there's fruit on the the apple and pear trees and uh we were just early enough the buds hadn't broken on the grapevines yet so what kind of apples you have um mostly it's uh probably there's one old heirloom here that i don't know what it is and then there's a bunch of feral trees that produce quite palatable apples that make you know go well into a, a cider blend so, so use use it for cider pies, the apples uh, mainly. Yeah, yep. Cider. It's, it's the, if if I have time to deal with it, otherwise, yeah, they they go to pies or sauce or the deer or the deer. Yeah, and we don't know what kind of apples they are. You know, like, well, it's unless it's you know a cultivated <clears throat> variety, which is being grown on you know a graft off of rootstock. You never know what an apple is because apple seeds don't fall true wow. from the tree. So a Macintosh tree will not produce Macintosh. You know, every seed won't turn into a Macintosh tree. There might be Macintosh-like traits, but um, and there could be trees that produce something completely wholly different. So, yeah, apples are pretty interesting like that. So that's where a lot of the kind of like the cider making revival up here is making use of old orchards or white feral trees that have grown up in people's yards and people have kept them decoratively and then it turns out the fruit's actually pretty good and um, even if it's a, a sharp or a bitter sharp it may not be great for eating but it, it lends a lot of complexity to ciders so let me ask you this though and, and it's making me think of that metaphor you know the apple doesn't far, fall too far oh. from the tree if you have one tree uh, an apple tree. All the apples on that tree are if they want, are they of one sort, or could they be of several sorts from one tree? Um, well, they'll, they'll the grown, you know, naturally they they're all of one sort. But people do play around with grafting, grafting. And I have a, we have an f- old friend that whose her um, dad was way into grafting, and I guess in Pennsylvania they lived out in Lancaster County. They um, they had a tree in the front yard that had twelve kinds of apples growing on it and it was alternating uh green and red apples around the tree wow that's he, had, neat. he had set it up like that yeah it's like a real life uh matisse or something yeah yeah so i i haven't had a chance to do it i thought i'd have time this spring but i have a cool grafting tool that was given to me as a gift and i'd like to give that a shot next year because i do have some wild sprouts coming up in places that i would like them to be and i have a couple of these trees here that i would like to prop so yeah, my, my father yeah. used to graft all the time, Project. pears and apples. I used to love watching him do that. And then the old he, Italian guys. That's what they did, yeah. Yeah. 
Exactly. Yeah. They, they, you know, they would help each other, you know, learn, learn that, that art, so to speak, or that craft of grafting. And you'd have one tree with, three, you know, several different types of apples or pears. It was pretty cool. Yeah, because you didn't always have a lot of space. So that's a way to, you know, make some variety. And what it's a, like back, backyard science. Right. And what a, what a great way to, to pass your time, right? Right. You, you know, you get home from work. And you go into the backyard and you check, you know, your your vegetables and you you graft a branch, you know, uh, that one of your friends gave you a little direction to do, or maybe he comes over, uh, she comes over, and and you, you graft a a branch on a tree, and and then you, you you know you just listen to the birds sing, maybe have a beer together, a glass of wine, a cup of tea, whatever. Yep. What a nice way to to spend some time. That's a that is a nurturing way to spend time. Yeah. Oh, we don't do it that much anymore. When I was a kid coming up, all the backyards, you know, had gardens, had fruit trees. Everybody did it. Now it's yeah. rare. Well, because that was that was a form of entertainment and connection. And in a way it was practical because you could, you know, have food that you didn't yeah. have to buy. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, that that kind of use of time has been displaced by other uses of time and things that are, are that are offered to us in in the the more modern world the right. the, the the post post the millennium basically yeah you you gave me a phrase attention theft it is disorder attention theft it is yeah. disorder kind of supposed to attention deficit disorder yeah. right is this is this correlate to that thought what we're talking well about? yeah and, and it it kind of touches on a, <clears throat> a few things that we've been talking about for a while, I think, um, just in general, in terms of uh, our our attention and the stresses that are, are put on it by a lot of things in the world around us, you know, whether they be cultural or societal or um, professional, um, political, but that this uh this idea of theft came up i heard a really good interview with um a gentleman named uh johan hari he had written a book called stolen focus which i need to get my hands on why you can't pay attention that's the name of the book and what he's Basically, saying in a nutshell is it's it's not just us. Yeah, we are having attention issues. Are we are being fed stuff that is taking up our time and energy and displacing other ways of uh, interacting in the world. And worse than that, in terms of what's happening in the digital realm and social media, is that it there is an active pursuit to hack our attention span. Really active by whom? Act by by the very organizations that the platforms that we're interacting on. Because they want us to be distracted. No, because they want they want our attention. Because if you are scrolling, they're making advertising money. Mm-hmm. And so everything that we do on these platforms is feeding their algorithm to figure out how to keep us scrolling more. So, I mean, just recently, I don't know if you saw the, the Surgeon General, you know, had a report about um, 
at least was speaking about the fact that social media is really at this point it's it's dangerous to young people because of what it's doing to their brains un- oh, I, un- underdeveloped yeah. brains and then the truth it it does the same thing to uh, adult brains but point being is that it the platforms are being built to be as addictive as possible yeah so yeah. and you know just like you can't assent to having a tort you can't assent to being battered or being murdered you can't assent to saying yes i want to become addicted right and so i mean this is playing out i mean big tobacco learned that right yeah purdue pharma, purdue pharma is learning that now after after it's all gone, said and done and you know how many decades of the tobacco industry knowing what they were doing and getting away with it right and, and then how many couple of decades of pharma getting away with it Opioids, and now we're yeah. good, we're about a decade into the social platforms having as much attention right omnipresent yeah and smartphones making it such that you know you can't let go and to the point where people are starting to go into counseling to like learn how to behave with their phone meaning like when they go to reach for it ask themselves why am i doing this do i need to look at this right now is this important is there something else i could be or should be doing right you know this past semester you, you know my day job i'm a professor and i i was so god disheartened and dismayed by how it was a constant struggle to get students off their phones and they oh would my God. and they would look at me like i was a, like being a jerk to them when i would be as their professor telling me please put your phone away now you know and and so i, I made a, i wrote, a, wrote up a policy a couple weeks ago that i'm going to put in all my syllabus where unless you have some sort of documented need to have an electronic device with you in class they are banned you cannot bring any electronic device in class you could bring a pencil you could bring a notebook and that is it oh you couldn't record a lecture nothing no okay. no unless you have some sort of document that says you need this to right. function as a student or to or, or to function as a person this electronic device there are no electronic devices allowed in class period yeah, I think that's fair. I'm going to see how it goes. <laughs> you know? And I and I even have a policy like if you don't listen, you're going to be asked to remove yourself. Like cuz they're addicts. And they want, they might like they might say no, well, I need this. Well, this is the thing is this is the interesting thing about this guy uh Yohan Hari is that he actually was um he had, a few years ago he wrote about addiction and figuring out how to de- that stigmatizing addiction doesn't help the situation. But to your point, I understand what you mean is that they pe- people should have enough self control to put that thing away because they're their their job is to be in the class but they don't and, and it's amazing wow. uh, honestly and they have uh, they look at it well, as if, well, as if you're telling them like that they they uh they need uh, to cut their ear off right right or you know you <laughs> like something as as necessary as you know you have to clothe yourself to come into public it's like telling them to come to, to to class naked, like you know something that they they need to 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 function or to to I I, I don't know it's it, it, like you look absurd uh, to them when you ask them to put that thing away. It's and that's addiction for sure, it right? Is. Or, yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean, you know, I try to have some compassion for them in the sense that you know 
they didn't have a choice in right. the sense that they've they've had a phone they had a phone since before this thing really started to dig in and so they've never had the opportunity to distinguish between having a phone and not having a phone which you know some of us old, oldsters um you know we 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 straddle the worlds in terms of you know there there are people that are old enough to not even still not have an easy time understanding technology we're good with it but we don't we're, we're not held hostage right well it's because we we didn't have it I and mean, when we it came in slow right and so we've kind of always for the most part had metering that said i you know i'm having to do self practices in terms of like keeping myself disconnected or even to the point where Sometimes I like to take the phone with me out when I'm doing stuff outside because I've got the Merlin app, and if I hear a bird, that I'm like, "Who the heck is that?" I can I can do a sound check and be like, "Oh, that's the Indigo Bunting. How about that?" Yeah, but you're using it in a positive, productive right. way, but, I think. But that said, it's like maybe I, you know not all the time because sometimes I catch myself out there and a message comes through and I got to go look at it. And it's like, wait a second, I'm, I'm out here doing other stuff, you know. Well, I can that, see myself, you know, being with with a chainsaw, and all of a sudden the message goes out, ah, and like taking your foot off. And that that would not be good. <laughs> no, you know, and, and this kind of we're getting towards, believe it or not, the end of our, our uh, time for this conversation, Almighty Todd. Uh, I know it goes quick, but it's so good to talk to you. But yes, nurturing versus exploitation. You wanted to talk about in a way, you know, that what you what you're talking, what you're well, discussing, kind of connects with that idea. Yeah, it is. <clears throat> it is this this parallel in terms of. What are our interactions? What are our relationships? And I've just been thinking a lot in the last couple of years, but lately in terms of how to distinguish relationships and interactions that are not good and don't go well for people. You know, maybe not well for one of the people. Maybe it goes better for the other. And it's like, well, that's that's basically because there's so much about our system that is exploit exploitation based that it makes people transactional. Yeah. And need to come out on top and I started thinking about this exploitation as really a problem it's you know it's it's what allows businesses to operate for years without having to pay all of the true costs of doing business because they're yeah. dumping their toxic waste in the river externalities right so and it got me thinking and so I did a little looking around I didn't I came across one uh Beginning of an article, I can't even really dig the whole thing down, but it's an article in Fellowship Magazine from 1978 by Wendell Berry. It's an essay called Exploitation. In Wendell Nature. Berry? Wasn't he the mayor of Washington, D.C.? Uh, there was one of those, but Wendell Berry was also a... Uh, I probably got uh, that wrong. I probably got yes. that wrong. <laughs> Marion Berry. Marion Berry. Well, I don't know why I thought Wendell. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> so... I'm surprised I even pulled that out too. <laughs> no, he was he was a uh, Wendell Berry is a, a poet, an uh, essayist, an environmental activist, cultural critic. He's um, I'll, I'll have to send you some stuff. Yeah, I know the name. I, you I know, definitely, yes, 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 definitely. Yeah, okay. I'm but just yeah, being so goofy. He, Go ahead. I'm he, sorry. He went, be he went into, it's, it's so it's an article I'd like to see more about because it really ta- gets right to the heart of you know how exploitation has been. Is is the beginning of this the, the the project on this continent began with exploitation in so many ways, whether it was the natives or the the, the resources that to be taken or the human lives that were used to extract those resources, 
Um, and that's a you know that's a big talk these days about this whole heritage of exploitation that brings us to where we are now. And it makes me you know think that it's each of us has to really think about how we are operating um, on a daily basis. And I, from, from a moral perspective, I think it's something that's worth considering. And I just thought there was one little bit in this uh, this article that I, I snippet I got was once the revolution of exploitation is underway statesmanship and craftsmanship are gradually replaced by salesmanship hmm. the craft of persuading people to buy what they do not need and do not want for more than it is worth it is stock and trade and politics is to sell despotism and avarice as freedom and democracy hmm. in business it sells sham and frustration as luxury and satisfaction Man, good stuff. Doesn't that sound like that's 1978, and doesn't it sound like right on the money now? It does. So maybe, it, maybe it's that some things don't change. No, they don't. You know, we, you know, the the past isn't even the past, right? Right. Good old. Uh, that's uh, our friend. You remember the author there, um, who said that? Nope. The past <laughs> is not even past. Um, Spock. No, not not no. Spock. We'll we'll leave that as a trivia question for <laughs> listeners. If you know the answer to that, send it in to ewconundrum at radiofreebrooklyn dot org, and you'll get a door prize. But uh, yeah, he he's uh, an author um, that you definitely know who this is. But I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say it. I'm I'm gonna leave the mystery there. Okay, uh, I'll go looking. But uh, Wendell Berry um, definitely had his his sights on. Uh, where we ended up today, way ahead of his time, I suppose, um, and and it is hard, you know, for us to to grab, grasp uh, a, a lot of these concepts that good thinkers, researchers uh, have come up with to to and share. A lot of times, most not all, almost all the time, everyday people, which is the the largest portion of society. Don't ever hear it and don't ever reflect on it. And then by the time they they do, uh, it's real and it's maybe too late. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. climate change, for example. Well, I, was, I was just going to say, doesn't it sound like, you know, the, the whole uh, – we're, we're made to be addicted to this way of life such that we can't take a look at what's really going on. Right. So again, it's just it's just like tobacco. It's just like pharma. It's just like this did this you know unreal digital situation. And so it puts you know individuals in the necessity space of, of really taking stock for themselves of how they spend their time and energy. And that's one of the points that, that this Johan was making. He's like, you got to think as a martial artist. I kind of get this. You got to think offensively and defensively. And the defensive side is really protecting yourself from those things that are trying to exploit you and take up your time and energy and you have to come up with your own protocols there are plenty of tips out there but different things work for different people but then offensively we need to work together to say that it's not okay for us to be poisoned and you need to change the laws it's not okay for us to be made to be addicted without our choice Right, you have to change the civil laws and, and, and your personal laws, so to speak. Yes, and but but we take one on the, the defense we have to do individually, but the offense we need to work together to do that. 
and that's the only way that that otherwise we remain subject to it. That's a good place. So, that's a good place, Todd. All right, my brother. It, I, it, that, that, I'm saved from having to go out to mow because it's raining again, and there's actually hailstones coming down. Oh man! Uh, mini, mini ice cubes. That won't be good for some people. No, you know. But, it sounds it sounds kind of beautiful though. Can you hear it? Yeah, yeah. That's hail, ladies and gentlemen, in Stockbridge, hail Vermont. Off the metal roof. That's beautiful. Oh my God! Gather some right. up, put it in a glass, and pour some uh, bourbon over it. There you go. <laughs> Wonderful idea. All right, I'm off. <laughs> I love you, brother. You too. Take care, man. Ciao. Ciao. Now you tapped on a box of blue American spears At Anyway Cafe A little under a month Before the ashes and management capital files filled the streets How we wove through the combs Walking home to the place on Atlantic You shared with your hilarious sister Kicking off your black flags Demolished and laughing I keep what I can of you Split second glimpses and snapshots and signs You and my new order t-shirt Holding a cat and a glass of beer you rescued me from the customs cops in Hawaii I shut down the place with my Japanese novelty bomb And your dad came along How you had me lay down for a temperature check With the cool of your hand on the back of my neck I think I'm finally going crazy for real I keep what I can on you Split second glimpses and snapshots and sounds You and my new order t-shirt Holding a cat and a glass of beer I flicker through
piece written by Paisley Rechdal, published in the June 5th, 2023 issue of the New Yorker magazine. It is titled, What is the Smell of a Circle? Breast milk, yes, and tomato soup, fresh, algae, blooming on the pond, with one carp quickening its surface. The egg-colored rug on which snow slowly melted from our boots. I remember the slowness of the hour in which we answered all the questions our marriage counselor put to us. Imagine one of you has gotten sick. Imagine the schools you want your children educated in. And you and I, healthy but with no children, would spend the rest of an afternoon arguing about private schools and cancer treatments until rage had pared your face to an acid set of lines and planes so that at restaurants the waitresses would fill only your glass with water and the female students at your law school, hearing of our troubles, delivered pies for you with notes expressing sympathy which I devoured alone, tossing the notes they'd taped on the tins for you into the trash. I gained five pounds that winter, lost 15 that spring you moved out. Perhaps I remember telling the counselor there are worse crimes than falling out of love with one's own husband or falling into some worse version of it with someone else, though at the time I couldn't imagine what those were. Outside, in the counselor's parking lot, we would stand by the doors of our separate cars, sullen and flushed, as if each of us had contracted a specific fever that began at the same hour of the same day each week. In the same location, even, the radiator throwing off its blister of heat, the rag rug the counselor's window slowly filling up with snow. Only after a week would the fever break, cooled into half-hearted jokes, or a stumbling embrace in our frozen yard, some new understanding of what we each could accept marriage to be, not the same relationship, but something different, stranger, hard. I remember walking past the bathroom door one night and seeing you hunched there over the sink, the wide, white porcelain sides gripped in your palms, you panting like a deer that had been struck by a car. How much more pain were we willing to endure to prove we loved each other? Months before we'd married, I remember we talked about a child. It was Sunday, hot. We'd been walking past the shut doors of glass-fronted restaurants until we stopped at a corner filled with shocking pink streaks of Bougainvillea. It's the one thing, you told me, I really want. You were talking about a child. Heady vanilla scent and bees. The sudden sense as you touched your hand to the back of my neck that I hated this embrace. Was it cruel? I never told you no. Was it cruel you kept demanding it of me? The longer we argued, the harder it became to decipher what cruelty finally was. Was it cruel, for instance, if one of us chose to sleep on the couch 
Was it cruel if I fantasized about living in Europe, or you kept a portrait of a former wife on your bookshelf? On the last day of therapy together, you interrupted the counselor to say that in order for you to remain in any way in my life, we would have to end the marriage now. Do you understand? You asked me. I touched my hand to the couch's fraying comforter. There was, I understood, no unlimited care anyone should endure for another, that in the end it was indeed love that could make a reasonable person leave a marriage. When I'm asked to describe you to strangers now, I tell people the truth. You were kind. You were curious. We never hated each other. Even on our worst night when I came into the kitchen to tell you what you already knew, I'd done something terrible, not naming it because you begged me not to. It was the one kindness I ever offered. I remember how you screamed and flung all the dishes in our cupboard to the floor, one by one until I stood inside a ring of white and blue and green porcelain that bloomed around me. Every dish we ever owned you threw, but even then, in our worst sorrow, making sure not one shard would touch me.
blossoms. Middle school commencement ceremony at the high school football stadium up on a hill. I chill in my terry cloth shorts, khaki, my sweatshirt from the Bronx, and flip-flops in leather. The weather in this Pennsylvania summit town is justu justu. The community happy and inspired. Let's go to the ice cream shop together and I can wipe your musu musu. Episode 527 of Troubadours and Rockon Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. 
I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, our good friend, Almighty Todd. The New Yorker magazine, writer Paisley Rechdahl. And these musical artists, Thelonious Monk. The Dirty Dozen Brass Band, Josh Ritter. The National, Lucinda Williams, Pavement, Terrence Blanchard and Brantford Marsalis, too. And of course, I would like to thank you for listening. Until next time, let's give it a go and do our best with this time. Take care of yourself. <laughs>